this episode is dedicated to an international spy I know. She's on first name basis with the Queen. She lives not far from Buckingham Palace and the Queen comes out of Buckingham Palace every Wednesday evening in disguise as a little old woman. The disguise is not that different to the way she normally dresses actually, but you know, as long as no one's expecting it. And uh, she comes down to meet this lady who is, who has taken me into her confidence too. And together they plan the world order. Um, they put it out there that it's the Illuminati doing all this, but it's, it's actually the Queen and this person who has taken me into her confidence, who is planning all of this, and uh, they have many plans afoot. Um, the Queen, for example, wants to get rid of Northern Ireland. You know, England's always wanted to get rid of Ireland. It's a millstone around England's neck. You know, as as is Australia. You know, um, and uh, together they plot. On, well, they got rid of some of Ireland, but the, the rest of it is becoming a little bit pesky and the Queen can't get rid of it, even for free. Um, and she says it would help Brexit along if we could just do that, you know. And so uh, they plot and scheme and, you know, they've got plans. And she, um, the Queen wants to bring all the English back, actually, and um, just have everyone back in England like the good old days. And then resume hostilities with France. You know, that's the dream. And um, and she wants to bring all the English back from Australia too. And, uh, and leave Australia with the indigenous peoples. The Queen would like that. Uh, bring, all, bring, bring our boys home and our girls too, thinks the Queen. Anyway, they plot and scheme these things. This person who has taken me into her confidence and you know and, and I, I dare say some indigenous people will be very pleased to know this you know uh, because in that sense the Queen is into indigenous rights the indigenous rights of the English to have England and for the indigenous peoples of Australia to have Australia all to themselves once again this episode is dedicated to this, uh, this saint, really, this secular saint who has taken me into her confidence and who is first on first name basis with the Queen. She has a helicopter in her house. She, she lives near the Buckingham Palace. It's a very expensive property there. Uh, she lives on Mayfair in, um, and and she has a helicopter, and but the front doors of uh, the, her garage in which the helicopter sits, um, they never open because it's got garage doors on the roof as well. And she just opens the garage doors on the roof with a button in her helicopter and takes off on secret missions for the Queen. Uh, she's a very exciting person. She tells me about all her adventures. I'll tell you all about them another day in a separate episode which I call Faust of Australia.
not a separate episode, a separate podcast. These are Fast of Australia is a series of stories I tell my son for his bedtime stories. Okay, on with the show. And this show is about other podcasters and such like um, who get into the histories of Australia, but it ends up being a little bit about the history wars. More about that coming up. I'll have to ask my international spy connection how she's going to get all the rest of the foreigners to get out of Australia too. I haven't asked her that yet. The English, the plan for the English is clear, you know, the Queen's got that one covered. But we also need to get rid of the Greeks and the Italians and the Chinese you know, and the Vietnamese and the Arabs and uh, the Irish. We need to get rid of the Irish. Uh, there's a lot of people we need to get rid of. I'm sure she's got a plan for that, you know. Um, the Illuminati, as she jokingly refers to herself and the Queen. They have a plan for everything. Thank God for the Illuminati, by the way. Can you, well, my contact and the Queen. Uh, because can you imagine, you know, if this Earth is a train and we're all on the train, in the carriages, down the back. And can you imagine how it would feel if there was no driver? We need a driver. We'd like a nice driver, if possible. Some sort of God driving. But if we can't have a God driving, uh, we, we would prefer something evil driving than uh, something nice, than, than nobody driving. Uh, that's why we have Illuminati. That's why we have the Queen. and you know, That's why we have my contact driving the train and the Queen acting as navigator. No, the other way around. The Queen's driving the train and, uh, and my contact is the navigator. God this, God that, God the other. In these podcasts, I seem to be talking to only people who are God this or God that or God the other. Uh, you know, my goddaughter mainly. I speak to my goddaughter a lot, every day just about. Uh, have for years. Uh, now, um, because she's great to talk to about things uh, such as I talk about in these podcasts. Uh, but I was talking to my godson, one of my godsons, uh, and that goddaughter, she's one of my goddaughters too. Uh, I was speaking to a god, my eldest godson uh, about a week ago. Uh, he's been living in, on, in a remote community or multiple remote communities, I'm not sure, up in the Northern Territory. I didn't, it started with why. The, uh, the, the particular, let's say, mob that he was living with, um, but I forget, Yolna, Yolna, something like that. Um, uh, he and I spoke for about an hour, more than an hour, and 
my goodness, I haven't had a chat to him for that long, for ages. And uh, and then I was talking to his mother, who's my godmother. So God this, God that, God the other. Uh, and, um, and I was saying to her that, uh, all right, she was saying, oh, she heard my, uh, you know, the last couple of episodes or three episodes, however many I've done. Uh, and she said, all right, looking forward to the next one. I said, oh, it's good to have a godmother who's actually going to listen to anything I say. Um, and my mum will, of course. Right. So, I said, all right, well, what would you like me to talk about? And, you know, I said, say anything at random. It doesn't have to be political. It doesn't have to be history. It doesn't have to be philosophy. Anything you like, you know. Um, I was quite happy to talk about anything. I thought that'll be fun. Improvise, you know. The way Mozart used to be just given a tune and, and then he improvised. You know, all the great composers could do that. Uh, so I thought, I'll do that. But badly. Yeah, I won't be the equivalent, the speaking equivalent of Mozart. Uh, but she said, you know, she said, I pretty much just like history and politics. I'm sure philosophy as well. She studied a lot of philosophy, I know about that. Um, she got into Greek uh, classical studies uh, at one stage. Anyway, um, so I said, all right, well, I'll pick something. Listen, I was talking to, you know, Jay, I shall call him, and um, my godson, and we chatted for about an hour, I said to her, about his, about his time up in the Northern Territory. And she said, That'll, that's a good, do it. She said she likes talking about Indigenous stuff, you know. Okay, so this episode is suddenly going to be about Indigenous stuff. Okay, so um, I know next to nothing about indigenous stuff. I know a few things. We all know a few things, uh, but I don't know much. So, in the context of these podcasts, that makes me perfectly qualified. I like talking about stuff I know nothing about. Uh, it's a different kind of podcast in that sense. Other podcasts, you know, as I've said many times, they uh, people are very good to their listeners. They research and they carefully put it all together, get their thoughts in order, and um, and get all the perspectives and bring it, dis- distill it all, and bring it to you as best they can. And I think that's fantastic. But I don't do that because I'm not really trying to offer a service here. I am not trying to make the world a better place. I am not trying to push the thinking forward. I'm not trying to evolve us. I'm not trying to care. I'm not trying to anything. I'm actually just curious. And as I've said before, I think there's room for that. You know, just about everybody um, wants to... Um, make the world a better place, you know, and I think it's a really good thing if there's at least a couple of people who don't, who couldn't care less, and that sounds really bad, but I think there's some virtue in it, and I've sort of explained that before, um, it's very, very difficult to get outside your perspective, and one, you know, I use all sorts of devices to try and get outside my perspective. I use fake names and fake personalities. I've written 
sort of books, as you might call them. Um, and I've written them in disguise as authors, where I'm the author, you know, but not me, and as, as authors who don't even have my values, you know. So it's a really tricky thing to do. These are the devices I use to try and get outside my own perspective. Um, I'm really keen on it. I never quite get there, of course, because if I ever completely got outside my own perspective, I'd forget who I was and I couldn't come back. Maybe I did. Maybe I did do that once, eh? Maybe this isn't even me. Maybe I'm an android or God knows what. All right. Now, that all sounds crazy, but there's logic at the bottom of it. Right. Now, uh, so, other people. Yeah, uh, they work hard for you. Go and listen to those people's podcasts. Don't listen to this one. You know, um, I'm not into marketing either. I don't want any listeners. Go away, you know. Um, I'm just here to talk to myself and squawk like a parrot. And I think there's virtue in it. Right. But speaking of which, I, uh, I have listened to one and a bit podcasts on matters to do with indigenous people and on top of that I've vaguely picked up things all my life about indigenous stuff but not amazingly not much I'm sure of it you know um, I've been hearing stuff about indigenous matters all my life but uh, you know I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface and speaking of which when I was chatting to my godson the other day, uh, who has been immersed for 10 years in um, remote communities, and that by that I mean indigenous remote communities in the Northern Territory, when I spoke to him, uh, the, the subject quickly got on to, so, you know, Jay, how have you, um, what was it like, you know? Um, and he said, I think I know less now than before I went up there. Now, that's an oldie. You know, we all know that one. Um, but gee, I think it's still a goodie. I don't care if it's said a lot. It should be said more. I really liked it. You know, I said, oh, Jay, that's just the best way to start, you know. And... And then um, the chat went off like a house on fire. You know, I really enjoyed listening to him. Anybody who starts anything like that, you know, I think that's fantastic. Um, and then I confused myself. I'll say, if you, if, um, if you know nothing about uh, Indigenous matters, then I know a lot. Uh, you know what I meant by that means I know even less. Alright, so I thought to myself, alright, well, a couple of promises flying around here. Uh, told my godmother that I would talk about Indigenous matters, so I will. Uh, what are my aims? None, you know. Uh, I'm just going to uh, chat about whatever comes to my head. You know? Do I care about Indigenous people? No. I'm going to say I don't, you know. Probably I do, you know. But for the purpose of this podcast, I don't, you know. Do I care about Westerners? No. Do I care if, you know, 
this nation state Australia uh, collapses and you know gets thrown into the dustbin of history no couldn't care less you know deserves to go you know, good riddance all right so this is all just to get my credibility going all of this and um, but so I listened to two podcasts recently and one of them was well this one was about it's probably close to a year ago now when I first got into podcasts was by a professor at La Trobe University and he was teaching well he was um it was just recordings of his lectures to students in the classroom or in the lecture room okay I forget the professor's name but he was really good I really enjoyed that um, I can't remember how many episodes were there were maybe eight you know something like that but the series of eight lectures you know uh, podcasts they're amazing you know, I, I, I haven't got time to do every university course in the world but you know you can just jump in and do a uni course by just listening to lectures you know it's like sitting in on lectures who's got time for that uh, and you know a lot of lectures at universities are free to the public uh, not that's fantastic too you can actually go and sit and listen you know but I like to you know I only listen to podcasts you know to get to sleep and while I'm driving around I haven't got time other times uh, and I only make these podcasts while I'm driving around and so on because I haven't got time other times either I'm driving to work right now believe it or not about half an hour to work so that's good a good sort of stretch of time in which you can plant a podcast all right so this one podcast um uh, it was by some professor now this professor pretty quickly i twigged that he was in the middle of what we call in australia the history wars the history wars it was a big deal even i remember those the history wars and um John Howard, who was our Prime Minister at the height of the History Wars, was taking one side and, look, I, I remember the a, a professor or whoever who was, you know, a champion for what John Howard wanted to believe and, you know, which was arguably a good way to think about things, arguably. You know, I always say things like arguably. I've got a, I hope I've got a different turn of phrase than a lot of people on these podcasts because I'm not trying to shove anything down your throat, you know. You think what you want, you know. In fact, these podcasts are not about me trying to enhance your mind or educate or anything like that. If anything, I like to just chat and sometimes I might take half an hour even to get on to what I'm chatting about. You know, case in point, this podcast. I'm in no rush. If you want to be in a rush, go and listen to these other podcasts that I mentioned. I'm marketing them. I'm not marketing myself, right? You've got to settle in for a chat with me because I'm in no rush. All right. Now, at the height of the history wars, John Howard and some other... Look, there's a name, Windshuttle, but I get, I get all the prof professors mixed up, you know, and I'm not into that sort of detail. Um, yeah, all I want is... Um, for you just to keep thinking what you know like if you're listening and I'm thinking that only maybe four people will ever listen to this that you know I care about um, 
you know, my goddaughter may listen to a couple of these episodes because she gets into this stuff with me. Yeah, my godmother, clearly. My mum. Hello, mum. Um, and also, yeah, eventually, my children, uh, you know, not they might hate all this stuff, but, you know, they might want to hear daddy's voice after he got hit by a truck one day. Okay. Now, so, um, the history wars. All right, the history wars were a big deal. And John Howard, uh, John Howard was pushing a line uh, that, look, Australia, you know, and by that mean, he means European Australians, are basically good people and sure they've made mistakes, but, you know, they've been the best they can. You know, and, um, and all humans are bad, um, but, oh, black armband, that's the terminology. He said he was against the black armband view of history in which all conquering peoples, conquering in any sense, um, should wear a black armband and flog themselves for the rest of history, you know. So, the, let's say, what shall we, who shall we pick? The Romans, you know, should flog themselves for what they did to the, the Gauls and the Germans and the, the British, the Bretons, you know, and all that sort of stuff, you know. They should flog themselves for what they did to all the peoples of the known world then. And, yeah, Romans, that's a good one to pick on. Um, uh, so he was against a black armband view of history. He said, listen, we're trying to do the best we can. And the idea is try and do better every year. You know, we're on a, a forward tangent. Okay. Um, and then there was a whole other, you know, that, that was one view of history, you know. And in that view of history, um, you know, one might sort of think of, the British came here, not a conquering, so to speak, in 1788. Yeah, one might, and now I'm not a, I'm not going to um, be an apologist or a champion for John Howard. Don't worry about that. Um, I'm not on this side at all. I'm not on any side. Uh, but one might say, one might observe things like Captain Cook was um, only in the Pacific to watch the transit of Venus. He was here on an astronomy mission, primarily, and um, he discovered the east coast of Australia for Europe. You know, don't get too locked into this idea of discovery, you know. Oh, Captain Cook didn't discover the east coast of Europe. Uh, it was already discovered by, yes, we know. All right, Captain Cook discovered the east coast indigenous populations before the East Coast indigenous populations discovered England. You know, you can put it that way if you like. You know, um, discovered, you know. Um, all right. Um, yeah, for people often, you get two, like, two groups of people in this world. Sometimes one lot is speaking French and a lot of, and the other is speaking English and they can't understand why the other is not getting it. And it's because they haven't defined their terms usually, you know, discovered. Okay, so, you know, uh, that construction could 
suggest, you know, Captain Cook came to Australia, came to New Zealand, came to a lot of places. He planted flags everywhere he went because that was his instructions, you know. That, um, in fact, it would have been maybe treasonous if he didn't. So the idea was to wander around the world. And I always think of this like a dog wanders around a neighborhood and wheeze on every pole to mark his territory. Okay, I like that one. Um, and to a certain, you know, and the, and the dog's not necessarily saying, well, maybe he is, you know. I'm, I'm really, I find it tricky to get inside a dog's head. All right, he's not saying, you know, this is, you know, I own all of this. You know, at that point in time, he's just weeing on the, um, weeing on the poles. Have you ever had this, um, um, you know, this might be a nice little kind of original idea. All right. Um, calling Captain Cook a dog, weeing on poles all around the world. Okay. Um, so, uh, Captain Cook, you could say, was going around the world leaving his calling card. You know, just weeing on this pole, weeing on that pole for King George, you know, Mad King George, whichever George it was at the time, and uh, leave, you know, leaving his options open, you know. Um, I hereby plant this flag so that, you know, we've got the option to come back here uh, another day if we ever should want to, and we probably won't, you know, that sort of thing. And if the bloody French come here, we can sort of at least, you know, we've got a little, uh, a little point upon which we might start une war, you know, that sort of thing, you know. And if the French come, they might plant a flag as well, and we'll say, no, we were first, you know. Um, I always remember that Eddie Izzard skit, you know. We planted a flag, you know. <laughs> um, all right. So, one could imagine that's what Captain Cook was doing. He was planting flags everywhere, but he was a bit of a scientist more than anything. And a bit of, you know, he was a, he was a polymathematic kind of scientist. Um, he wasn't William the Conqueror, I don't think. And he wasn't Alexander the Great. I don't think he was on that sort of adventure. Um, although Alexander the Great, now that was interesting, um, he was a conqueror. But when he conquered Alexander the Great, he used to grab specimens, Charles Darwin style, and send them back to Aristotle, his teacher, you know, who was a, a, a one of the, his teacher for a little while, um, who he held in high regard. He held Aristotle in high regard. Um, and he used to send specimens from far afield in India and all that sort of stuff back to Aristotle as he was a conquering. And now that's interesting, isn't it? So Alexander the Great was a conqueror who, you know, was doing something scientific. Um, but I think Captain Cook was more a scientist, you know, who was doing his king's political bidding to a certain extent because he had to. He was a naval officer by trade anyway. Uh, he'd been in, was it the Thirty Years' War, Hundred Years' War? You know, I'm not, I don't care. All right, um, nasty war, I remember that much. Right, 30, I think. Um, you know, Europe, there's been a fair few world wars before World War I. Um, if you know any history, you know more about this than I do. All right, so, 
Uh, Captain Cook leaves his calling card. We's on a pole in Australia on the East Coast. Indigenous people are watching him. Oh yeah, one got shot, I think. Um, and somewhere along the line. And, and then he leaves, right? And he's left a flag there. Well, I'm not sure that he did leave the flag there, did he? You know, you can't just plant flags willy-nilly all over the joint, can you? How many flags do you put on the endeavour? You know, did he have one for every plea, you know? What would, you know all the, one for every island that he hoped to find? I doubt it. You know what I reckon he did? And I've got no knowledge about this at all. I bet you I plant this flag. You know, it wasn't like on the moon when Neil Armstrong plants the flag and leaves it there. I think he left it there. Uh, Neil Armstrong on the moon. I, I claim this moon for America. You know, is he really? You know, Captain Cook was a bit like that. You know, um, is that a colonial sort of exercise? Neil Armstrong going to the moon? Well, Captain Cook was doing something similar. A lot of people have compared Captain Cook's voyages uh, to the Pacific in his time as Captain Cook going to the moon. There's been that comparison. In fact, one of the space shuttles was called the Endeavour after uh, Captain Cook's ship. And it even had a piece of the original Captain Cook ship, the Endeavour, on the space shuttle, the space shuttle Endeavour. And the Americans even spelled Endeavour the way we spell it, with an O-U-R. Found that interesting too. Um, you know, as a, as a sort of sign of respect or a tip of the hat or whatever you want to call it. Okay, so was Captain Cook going to the moon rather to go and study the transit of Venus? Hmm? Transit of the moons of Venus? You know what I mean. Okay, so Captain Cook leaves Australia. All right, so he didn't colonise it there. He did claim the lot, but then, you know, that was the thing then. In fact, it would have been treason not to, wouldn't it? You know, if you didn't wee on a pole, that's treason. So, um, I'm not an apologist for Captain Cook either. I'm actually a huge follower of Captain Cook. Um, I get obsessed by things. I'm obsessed with Little Richard. I'm obsessed with Captain Cook. I'm obsessed with penguins, you know. So, I, I do know a fair bit about Captain Cook. Um, and, um, and I think he was into weeing on poles at, for King George. Okay, so he left Australia. Did he, did he conquer Australia? No, not at that time. In fact, when he left Australia, um, he, 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 he uh, I don't think he knew if he would ever come back. I don't know if he ever knew England would come back, you know. Uh, so that's all it was at that point in time. Uh, I've got another, another podcast, actually, in which I'm writing a fiction, if you want to listen to it kids, you know, I, I, when I say kids, I kind of imagine just my kids listening to this, and it's called Jack of Plymouth, and in that fiction, I'm imagining a, uh, it's set around the character of a young woman uh, living in Plymouth, where Captain Cook left from, from where Captain Cook left, where Captain Cook left from, uh, and in England, in the south of England, and Captain Cook, uh, yeah, uh, so this girl called Jack, J-A-C-K, uh, ran away from home, she lived in Surrey, 
you know, and she ended up on the docks in Plymouth, and I've got, I've placed that character in between the second and third voyages of Captain Cook, and the third voyage wasn't to be on the Endeavour, it was to be on the Resolution, a different, different boat, and Jack of Plymouth dresses as a boy to get work. Um, in fact, she's been doing that for so long that she really just lives as a boy. Uh, nothing to do with gender, I don't get into that, you know, in this book. I'm just, I completely ignore it, you know. It's very easy to be anachronistic in these sorts of things when you're chatting like I chat off the top of my head and start pummeling your values into stories, you know. But I just leave it alone altogether and, and uh, don't don't try and put my little two bobs worth in, you know, and try and uh, put a 21st century little, you know, cute little spins into the stories. She's just a girl dressed as a boy, you know, and she's not making any feminist point at that point in time. She is headstrong and all that sort of stuff, but she's a product of her own times. Okay, so, um, but that, you know, that was... Cook's third voyage, he didn't know he was even going to be alive for his third voyage when he was leaving Australia after his, after discovering the East Coast Indigenous peoples. Uh, you can't stop me saying that, can you? Yeah, he did do that, you know. Um, Alright, okay. Now, Captain Cook left Australia. Captain Cook left Australia. And then, uh, he may never come back. Um, but let's leave all that alone. Let's just fast forward a little bit. And Captain Cook is in Hawaii on his third voyage. And there's a bit of stuff that's gone on in between. Obviously, he's had three voyages, hasn't he? Um, the indigenous mobs in Australia are probably still talking about... Remember that bloody big ship, you know? Big ship. Well, that was amazing, you know? Bastard shot one of us. Still, very interesting, wasn't they? Funny colour, those lot. White ghosts, you know. Um, but, you know, there was years and years, you know, with Captain Cook gone, and the mobs, you know, the, the memory of that, you know, there'd be kids growing up who are hearing this from the older people who are talking about this strange ship that came once. Right, so where was I? Because I got rudely chopped off then. Uh, I, I spoke for another five or ten minutes um, after that bit you just heard and didn't realise that my iPad had switched itself off. Um, and anyway, I had to go into work. It's after work now. It's in it's the evening now, the after, late afternoon. And here am I back again, and what was I talking about? I was talking about some kid, uh, an Indigenous kid, asking... Let's say his mother. Um, tell me, tell me, you know, the kid might be 16 or 17, because that's how long it's been since Captain Cook just sort of turned up and then left. Um, the, you know, this mob's spot um, on the east coast of Australia. And the kid's saying, you know, tell me about this white ghost guy again, you know, with a big, big ship. And that was Captain Cook, you know, but the kid's spent his whole life growing up and Captain Cook 
is a distant memory. And um, oh, let's say the kid is, hang on, let me work this out. Let's say he's, the kid's 12, right? And it's 1782, okay? Because Captain Cook came in 1770. And the first fleet is still 1788, you know, a little bit off. So 1782, the kid's 12. Tell me about the this Captain Cook. No, tell me about this white ghost. And the mother says, well, there was once a white ghost, you know. That's really about it. Came in a big ship. Ah, and the kid says, that's interesting, yeah. All right, he's lived his whole life, and it's just something that happened before he was born. A little bit like young kids these days, you know. 9-11, September 11, the 11th of September, is something that happened before they were born. Uh, whereas in my mind, it was a long, you know, it was like not that long ago. Okay. <coughs> and when I was young, World War Two was only as far back as September 11 is to kids these days. And whereas I, I thought, well, when I was young, I thought World War II was just a completely in the olden days, you know, like Napoleon and Julius Caesar, you know, it seems like such a long time ago. World moves on so fast, okay? Now, this kid is 12, and Captain Cook came, you know, a long time ago, before I was born. Wow, what a weird thing, you know? Is that like a... Yeah, and that might have even you know that whole story might have been slipping into legend, um, and no doubt, it um, the other legends of um, the indigenous world were just as applicable as this strange visit. Maybe some myths and legends were growing up around uh, Captain Cook and his visit. You know, who knows? A lot of time, twelve years, um, but anyway. Little did that kid know that Captain Cook was dead already by now. Um, dead. And Captain Cook died never, never knowing that England would come back. As far as Captain Cook was concerned, if he even gave Australia another thought, he, he went on to bigger and better things, you know, um, navigating Great Lakes of Canada and going all over the place. He was, a, you know, did the, the, the great navigator. That's Captain Cook. The greatest navigator in history. And he had a clock on his ship made by William Harrison. I have to talk about that another day. Another day. All right. Um, so, Captain Cook, if he gave it another thought, Australia... He probably had no idea that, you know, quite surely he had no real idea that England would ever come back. Why would England come to Australia? They were busy sending their convicts to America, the colonies in America. And I think, you know, for example, Maryland and Virginia, I heard. I think they were the two. And the convicts from England used to go there. So why would you bother even ever going to the moon again? going to Australia again, you know. So England, as far as Captain Cook was concerned, um, as he lay, as he collapsed into the shallows in Hawaii, running for his boat with a tomahawk sticking out the back of his, at his back, you know. Uh, um, as he died there, um, he probably wasn't thinking... Um, yeah, I wonder if England's ever going to colonise Australia, you know, or even go back there at all. Okay, so little did this boy know 
<clears throat> age 12, 17, 82, um, little did this boy know that um, the English were going to come back, but little did the English know that either, you know, there was no plans to come to Australia, no specific plans, um, because England was quite happy sending all her convicts to America and didn't want to empire build in the direction of Australia, um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, America was, you know, the war of the American War the Revolution had occurred, and England had no way, lost access to the Americas in terms of sending convicts there. Captain Cook was dead by the time all this happened. You know, and John Howard might say all this sort of stuff. No, you know, when did the conquering start? John Howard might say. You know, it's not as clear-cut as it seems. You know, England wasn't quite, possibly wasn't casually empire-building. When, you know, waltzing around the world, empire-building, when England even decided to come to Australia again with what's called their first fleet. Um, in fact, England was having a little existential crisis at that time, I'm sure. Um, we're talking... <coughs> Um, the world, you know, up in upheaval, the French Revolution, a lot of things, well, that hasn't come yet, what's that, 1789? But, 1790, I, I lose track, you know, what the dates are. Alright, um, but the point is, America fell into a war with, no, England fell into a war with America by being greedy. I think I think we could just say that, can't we? England was greedy and tried to take too much taxes off the Americas, of of, of its colonies in America, and it all went sour, you know. Um, Boston Tea Party, all that sort of stuff, and um, and lo and behold, England lost America, and uh oh, where are we going to send our convicts now? Amongst other things, amongst worrying, are we even going to survive? You know, are the French going to come and take over us? You know, oh having a bit of a problem here and um, I think it was 1783 and I only heard that from an amateur on the other podcast I just started um, that that was the date that England decided to send convicts start sending or try and send some convicts across to Australia which was nowhere near as good an option as far as I can tell not to colonise Australia as far as I can tell to create a little penal colony in Australia, which is a bit, very different thing than to colonise Australia. Um, we might have to define the word colony. You know, what, what is colonisation? If you set up a penal colony, a little self-contained penal colony over the other side of the world on the moon, um, is that, um, is, does that constitute colonising the whole country? Or... You know, does um, does England, as it gets makes this penal colony, is it sort of thinking Holland has still got the other half of Australia in, you know, it's got their little flag over there? Are they sort of thinking along those lines? Um, I, I tend to think that they were just a little bit like Captain Cook was weeing on a pole, just put the flag in there just in case we can make something of this one day. I get the feeling that the first penal colony was a, a bit of a uh, experiment. 
um, and not really a signal that we're going to take this whole country. If the penal colony and all that didn't work out, I'm sure they just would have said, let's get out of here, you know. So Cap uh, John Howard, the black armband um, view of history, might have said, well, 1788 doesn't really constitute um, um, an Alexander the Great type waltzing into Egypt and declaring yourself pharaoh, you know. It's not a bit like, it's not like that. It's setting up a crappy little penal colony um, with the governor there trying to make some sort of, you know, keep the keep the bloody convicts in order and making laws and, you know, I think, you know, there was a governor, you know, said if, if you, um, Governor Macquarie, you know, if you uh, murder a an Aborigine, um, you'll hang for that, just as surely as if an Aborigine murders you, he will be hanged for that, um, you know, and all that sort of thing. Not that um, English law had jurisdiction over the uh, Indigenous peoples, but let's not make this a, a legal lesson for one really good reason. I'm not a lawyer. Okay, so it's a bit messy, shall we say. It's not a, um, you know, when... Um, William the Conqueror, you know, came to the Battle of Hastings, you know, and it was a real conquering moment, you know. Um, or Julius Caesar, you know, the way he liked to do that. You know, he'd go to Gaul and Gaul was his, you know, um, and all that sort of thing. You know, it wasn't like that. It was a setting up of a crappy little penal colony on the other side of the world just to see what'll happen. That's as far as I can tell, and that's what John Howard might be saying. Saying, listen, and this is why, you know, I'm not sure that Australia Day, I'm not sure that um, 26th of January 1788, which is, I think, the day that um, the first fleet landed in, um, oh my God, I'm not even sure which, was it Botany Bay or Sydney Cove? You see, aren't I terrible? Um... Hang on, let me think. Or did Captain Cook go to Botany Bay and then Sydney Cove? And then the first fleet went straight to Sydney Cove? No, I'm pretty sure the first fleet went to Botany Bay, didn't like it very much, went upstream a bit and went up the coast a bit and went to Sydney Cove, something like that. Anyway, you you probably know all that stuff. It really doesn't matter for these, this podcast's purposes. <coughs> the point is the British were back. Okay, but they were back in a in a much more emphatic way than they had been with Captain Cook. And I re-emphasise that Captain Cook had no inkling that any of this was going to happen, so he's not part of what you might call the colonial uh, push, except he did put a flag there, OK? All right. And um, I suppose, the you know, that 12-year-old boy is now, what, 18? And he's like, oh, my God, there's that ship again that you told me about, Mum. And she said, yeah, 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 don't worry, they'll only shoot one of us and then, you know, they'll go again. All right. Um, So, um, that's that. And that's the kind of um, thing that John Howard might have sort of said. He might have said that the governor's... Oh, God. Hang on. Oh, I'll pause for a second. John Harrison. I'm back. Uh, But, look, all of that may be something 
along the lines of what was in John Howard's head when he was objecting to the idea of a black armband view of Australian history. In the history wars that I mentioned ages ago, it was long ago, longer ago than it even looks because it's the end of the day now. All right, so, um, and, you know, and these were the history wars, you know. And, um, and John Howard might have been arguing, listen, uh, the idea of Australia unfolded, you know. It wasn't like Julius Caesar marching into Persia and oh, Julius Caesar marching into Persia, um, Alexander the Great marching into Persia, you know, or Julius Caesar marching into Gaul and just a conquering, you know. It might be more a case of um, England just had to get rid of its convicts and, you know, oh, first it sent Captain Cook off exploring England and, you know, as much for scientific reasons as anything else and test a new clock he had and all this sort of thing. Um, and then... Uh, and then it might have been the case that, you know, and the Captain Cook was dead before England even considered coming to Australia. And then the American War of Independence forced England to look for somewhere else to put its convicts. And reluctantly they said, well, um, Australia, you know, this place, Terra Australis, you know, New Holland, whatever the hell it's called damn it, that's a lot longer, we're going to have a provision, it's going to cost us, this is going to cost us, you know, and that sort of thing, and, and they sent off the, you know, the famous First Fleet uh, to Australia, very successful uh, First Fleet, I think it was Captain Arthur Phillip, um, and the voyage went very nice, you know, very not very swimmingly, because it didn't sink, um, but went very nicely, and all all went pretty well, and, you know, happy reports back, by and large, um, and then they sent another second fleet, and that was an absolute disaster. But there's a whole other story. But the point is, you know, John Howard might be saying, listen, you know, the British didn't come here to uh, just come, you know, on a, on a, in a, in a Spanish kind of way. Uh, you know, he might have been thinking something like that. And, you know, the Spanish in South America, um, they came, they were conquistadors, they were create. they weren't conquistadors, they were trying to set up a penal, a crappy little penal colony, you know, and, the, and that kind of unfolded and, you know, it went alright for a little while and then went very badly for a while, you know, maybe they would have pulled the pin on the whole thing, I don't know, but they managed to sort of blunder their way through and then, you know, um, they started and then the colonists and the convicts kind of um, started sort of moving up to, where did they go? Parramatta and up the Murrumbidgee and all these sorts of things, you know. And, um, and then it grew a little bit. and But still there was no, you know, um, it's nice to um, sort of just stop right there and sort of think, now at that moment in time, um, should, the, you know, the indigenous nations and this little penal colony were distinctly different things. I think that's fair to say. They were distinctly different things. So, um, you can't go... You know, much later in 1967, there was a huge debate. Or, but there was a vote. There was a referendum um, saying, you know, Aborigines should given the, be given the vote. You know, it should be part of the, the club 
we call Australia. You know, that's what happened in 1967, many years after this time the period that I'm talking about. But if you go back to this period of time, way, way, way back, 1788, 1789, all that sort of stuff, um, 1790, 1795, 1800 even, um, this is, uh, it would have been inappropriate, surely, to suggest that the indigenous people should get the vote is that true or maybe maybe oh who knows it's a complex thing this is the debate between civil rights and indigenous rights there's a very big difference um and i won't even go into that because you probably know all about that um so and uh, you know eventually and uh, john howard might argue that the whole idea of you know it's just the idea of having a nation state calling it called Australia that encompassed the whole mainland of Australia and even ex and, and that excluded New Zealand and even that that should be a separate country you know because New Zealand was part of New South Wales for a long time you know um, as far as you know from the British perspective um, so you know there came a time when for you know lots of messy messy things squatters and south australia free colony and you know all sorts of things were happening all very messy and um no consistency you know like um heaps of colonists acting way outside the law uh so when people say the british did i mention this before because i lose track because sometimes i get interrupted in these things by phone calls and you know, having to go to work. Um, but, you know, there was, um, you know, sometimes you hear, oh, the frontier wars between the uh, British and the indigenous people, you know. Um, but, you know, was it, is it between, what is the British, you know? They were British people, um, but they might have been acting, a lot of them were acting outside the law, the squatters especially, pushing into frontier, you know, pushing into lands that the governor had told them they weren't allowed to go into, you know. He was trying to contain the penal colony, you know, uh, to contain the colony of New South Wales. And then um, squatters were pushing out, you know, or pushing up from South Australia and going into lands that the, the, the British government had said, you're not to go there, and then just going there anyway, you know. So, you know, when you say the British engaged in a war with the indigenous peoples of Australia, it isn't a war in the sense that Germany went to war against England. Now, we can handle this, especially in the 21st century, we can handle the idea of different types of war. So it's still a war, you know, because we've got a war on terror. You know, that's what George W. Bush used to call it. T-R-R-R-R-R-R, the war on terror, you know, because it's Texan, that's how they talk. Um... So we can handle different types of war. But this wasn't a war, this wasn't a clean-cut war between the British, per se, and, you know, the Crown. It wasn't a war between the Crown and the peoples of Australia, the, um, the Indigenous peoples of Australia, because, you know, for many of the battles um, in the frontier wars, um, and I'm not even going to get into how many people died on those, you know, um, I think... I heard on that professor at La Trobe saying something between whatever thousand and, you know, whatever thousand, you know. I don't even want to get into it. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people died either way, you know. Um, some people might say two, you know. <laughs> two thousand, twenty thousand, 
you know, 200,000. A lot of people died of disease, of course. Um, yeah, that's it's not my business to quibble over a man. Numbers of people died, I couldn't care less. All right, um, the war's a war. Um, and if it's your whole mob gone, it's your whole mob gone, you know. Um, uh, you know, and, and numbers are very hard, you know, you don't want to go comparing numbers because, you know, at the same time, you know, we have, oh, what was that one? The Creek, 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 Mile Creek Massacre, you know, um, which is definitely a massacre. But then again, you know, the Crown didn't sanction that, you know, because I think the people who carried out the Mile Street Massacre, I think a lot of them were hung by the Crown. And, you know, the, the Crown didn't like that at all. Um, but then again, you know, the Crown had all these laws about don't, don't kill all the Indigenous peoples. But one has to note also that many, many, I'm sure, many Europeans who did kill Indigenous people kind of got away with it. You know, they went through the courts and um, uh, the courts um, looked upon them favourably for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, anyway... Um, let, let's not get into all of that. That's a, we will get into all of that, but not yet. Okay, so, um, you know, the idea of Australia evolving. And then eventually colonies are all over Australia, you know. You can call that like a... Um, they've uh, spread it. You know, the colonies have cropped up everywhere. From the Indigenous perspective, that'd be like an invasive species cropping up everywhere, you know, like cane toads. Um, and... And eventually all these colonies get together and say, let's form a nation state. Let's federate and form a nation state. And that's Australia. But even then, at that moment in time, would you sort of say that um, a mob in a remote community who really hasn't actually had any contact with these people who are declaring a nation state, a club, a social club, a social, political and economic club called Australia, which they're... Um, which they they are saying shall own all the land, you know, in the European sense of own the land. But this indigenous mob somewhere in the remote areas, would you suggest they should get a vote in this um, new club? The indigenous people themselves, and this is even as far forward in 1901, might say, no, don't want the vote because we're not even part of that club. We've got our own club, thank you, you know. This is our land, you know, and we live here and we're not even in Australia. We're just in our, we're on our land, yeah? So you can say this is part of your Australia, you know, your social club Australia. You can say this land is part of your, but it's not. Look, look around. None of you here. Only us here. So, no, we don't want the vote. That's what Indigenous rights is all about, you know. Um, if such a mob would say yes, we want the vote, they're kind of um, agreeing to join and become a member of, you know, they're, they're agreeing that, um, it's a way of agreeing that the nation state, the state of Australia, this new nation state of Australia, young and free, because it is young and free, you know, because it's just been born, um, and it's free in the, you know, in the Greek sense of free, you know, liberty, you know, that sort of freedom. Not the freedom, no, look up freedom, look up um, the liberal arts to understand that. So, you know, there's a really good Wikipedia entry on the liberal liberal arts. That sort of freedom, you know, liberal, liberty, freedom. Okay, we are young and free. All right, so the nation state of Australia was young and free. 
not the not the indigenous people, of course, you know. Um, it, it, the, the lyrics work for that. You know, I've discussed that before, in my opinion. The lyrics work for that. I'm not saying I like the lyrics. In fact, I hate the song. All right. Now, um, so, um, John Howard might be saying that, you know, that we had this nation which had its, you know, certain, you know, um, oh, well, actually, it was a pretty racist nation at the start, had a white Australia policy, you know. But the white Australia policy, um, you know, um, people say, oh, if I was back in those days, I wouldn't have agreed with the white Australia policy. But they, you would have, you know, you would have. You would have. Because you'd have to be sitting in all the debates about what the white Australia policy was about. And I think you would have, you know, because you would have been back in those times and you wouldn't have had your 21st century head on anyway you know and you would have thought it was a great idea because i think it was focused on trying to limit the number of chinese coming out um mainly so it was white australia policy against the chinese mainly and yeah that was all to do with you know the uh, they were scared of the chinese um there were so many of them up there yellow peril you know and all that sort of stuff so it was all about that you know it was more a european a white uh, white australia it was a european australia policy um and they didn't want Chinatown to become the norm across, you know, all their lovely little towns that they were building. Um, okay, in Australia, in the European style, you know, they didn't want crowded sort of Chinese sort of feel about the whole thing. They didn't want their way. It was a lot to do with wages, you know, maintenance of standards of living and all that sort of stuff. Um, I was listening to that professor at La Trobe University who was on the side of... He was on on the not on the side of John Howard, as far as I can tell. Um, but I think oh, that noise is my AFL app. I love the footy, you know. And that'll be something that Sydney and Hawthorne playing tonight. Um, Essendon played West Coast last night. Um, you know, but look at that Sydney, Hawthorne in Melbourne. You know, and Essendon where I'm sitting right now. I live in Essendon, and. Um, and West Coast, way over the other side of Australia, you know, this is, well, this is where we are, you know, and here am I back in the start of, you know, talking about the start of Australian history when these were all colonies, how about that? All right, so it's all come together in one way, shape or form or whatever. Okay, now, John Howard might be, you know, on one side of the history wars sits John Howard and a lot of people on his side saying, no, we're basically good people. Australia just came to be and um, we had some good about us and we had bad about us and let's just all, you know, let's all just get together and um, the Indigenous people, you know, 1967, look, just the reality is it ended up European-dominated country, all right. There's bad things about that, but we want to try and um, find some unity with the Indigenous peoples um, we don't want a treaty, you know, because uh, to have a treaty, you've got to be at war with them, really, you know. And we kind of weren't at war with them. We kind of smashed them instead. You know, it was only Maoris that got the treaty uh, because, you know, they had they they got together a decent war against the Europeans and forced a treaty. You know, British people, and you know, no one's going to agree, sign on the dotted line to a treaty unless they're forced to. You know, that's kind of, I think that's the rule of treaty. You know, you don't... Not many people make a treaty for moral reasons. I think they, the, uh, a treaty is an outcome of war, isn't it, normally? Or maybe we're changing the rules on that sort of thing, you know? Um, but we don't, we don't want a treaty. But look, look let's, let's not 
Do war talk like John Howard said. Let's not do war talk in the 21st century. All right, bad things have happened. Look, it's coming together. 1967, got the vote, you know, uh, for the Indigenous peoples. Um, you know, and then, the, and then you know, there's a big sorry. Um, we've had our sorry sort of moment with Kevin Rudd since, you know, because John Howard's still alive, so he's probably still talking. And he might say, you know... We have a succession of Labour governments, you know, Whitlam, you know, picking up a handful of dirt and um, pouring it into some Indigenous guy's hands over near Uluru and all that sort of stuff. You know, we're, we're getting there. Can't we do it that way? You know, can't we all just... don't? Let's not just... Um, let's just not... Let's not all just smash the Europeans. They did what they thought they would... Did. They did what they thought was right according to everything they'd ever learned about warfare and, you know, going to other lands and all that sort of stuff, you know. Europe wasn't a pretty place back then, you know. Um, you can talk about Mile Street massacres and all this sort of stuff, but, you know, at the, at the same time, we had the Battle of Waterloo and quite possibly um, more English people died that one day than all the Indigenous people put together ever have been killed, you know. And England lost that lost that many people that one day but I don't like counting deaths you know um, but you know it's it's worth noting and, uh, well it's it's what John Howard might be saying you know um, so you go back into time just after the um, the Battle of Waterloo you know against Napoleon and you sort of say to the um, the British people in Australia listen you must show more sensitivity you know and most of them probably say you know what get stuffed um, and this is what John Howard might be thinking I've just had half my cousin's die against the French um, you know what, I'm thinking about something else at the moment, alright come back to me in 50 years, alright I don't care, you know, people do get like that when everyone they know dies you know, all the young men, you know, and that, that you know, you might get a repeat of that sort of situation in World War One, and so on and so forth you know um, and John Howard might say it's that messy you know, it's really that messy, but look we're, we're pulling it together now you know? But that's only one side of the history wars, you know. And the other side of the history wars would be everything that everybody else argues. And that's an extremely strong voice, you know. And, uh, and you know, and that moves more in the direction of um, just the sheer disadvantage of being an Indigenous person in Australia in their own country, um, the sh you know, and you can talk about, um, look, let's all be unity and, um, but the level, the playing field's just not fair. It's just not fair, you know. Um, everyone's got, you know, let's let's make everything, it just doesn't work, you know. Um, alcohol hits them bad, worse than it does Europeans and all that sort of thing, you know. Europeans have got a long history of getting drunk, so they kind of, are used to it, um, and all, you know, there's a lot of things coming into it. This, you know, I, I probably won't go into it, but the sheer disadvantage runs deep. Um, you know, it goes into racist areas, goes in, and that's the other side of the coin. You know, so um, the history wars, and you know what? I started this episode talking about something, and I can't remember what it was exactly. I know, I just remembered mentioning history wars. I can't remember how I got onto history wars. Uh, if I thought for a second, I might. Um, ah, yes, I remember. 
I was um, talking about some podcasts I heard. And yes, I, I was talking about a professor whose podcast I heard, series of lectures, um, and I liked that podcast. So I recommend that podcast. He's a very interesting person. Some of the things I've just mentioned now uh, I got from that podcast. And there's another podcast I was just listening to yesterday. I only listened to the start of it. And it was by someone called Burke. And I've forgotten his first name. Chris Burke? Um, Just a second. I might be able to look it up. Um, I might be able to look it up whilst I've got this running. Uh, Where do you find these things? Podcasts? Um, Library? Look, I can't. Chris Burke. And that was pretty good. He was a bit like me, um, in a way. He was from Melbourne. And he's a male, and clearly a Westerner. Um, he started off in a... He's doing his podcast in a completely different style. Um, he, this Chris Burke, he's doing it in a narrative style. I'm here just for a chat. He's done a heap of research. I'm doing none. Um, and he started off with some spiel about... Um, and he's only done three episodes, I see. I think I can beat that really quickly, you know, because I don't need to do any research, you know. These people who have to do a lot of research, they can only pump out a, an episode every so often because they put so much work into it, whereas I can pump out ten a day if I feel like it because uh, I can just keep chatting, can't I? Not with a bayonet through your neck, you can't. <laughs> uh, all right. <coughs> um, so this Chris Burke, yeah, but... He's got a different style from me um, because I'm coming from a position not trying to of not trying to um, lionize or you know uh, any one perspective or another. He is a huge fan of multiculturalism. I picked that up straight away. Multiculturalism, and in his episode, his second episode, I, I listened to the first one. Um, which was just about, you know, oh, you know, 13.7 billion years ago, 13.8 billion years ago, the Big Bang happened, you know. So you wanted to really start from the start, you know. And then, what is it, um, um, such and such billion years ago, the Earth came about, you know. And then, such and such million years ago, life. And then Homo sapiens, you know. Well, then... You know, apes, then Homo sapiens, and all that sort of stuff. So he's doing it in that narrative style, you know. And then in 1788, the first fleet arrived, you know, something like that. Oh, first the Dutch came, you know, to the west coast of uh, Australia, and it was all crappy, crappy, crappy land. So they said, no, nah, we don't want this place. And um, Dutch East Indies Company. And um, and just went up to Indonesia and all that sort of thing. Was that Batavia? And, um, and then... And he said, and then Captain Cook came to the east coast of Australia and said, oh, this way, this this is nicer, all right. And then we left again and then got killed. You know, and he said all that too. So he, he's very similar to me. Now, the interesting thing was he's from Melbourne. And um, I'm just having a thought. Just give me a second. I'll hold that thought, all right? Uh, because I might try and roll him into this podcast somehow, which sounds bizarre, but I might try and do that. Uh, I've got an idea. Uh, because we're too... Two people, presumably, roughly, with the same social construction. Um, I, I get the sense he's slightly younger than me. I'm 56, you know. And I get the sense that he was more, maybe 30-something. But I've got no proof of that, you know. 
oh, you've got no proof, you shouldn't say, no, I don't mind taking guesses, you know, as long as you say it's a guess, it's all right. Um, all right. Um, and But he was saying, this is a great country. Um, I remember him saying that. And this is a great country. And, you know, and, and he went to some effort to say that he wasn't a racist, you know. I always worry about people who start like that, you know. I'd rather... I'd rather not tell you whether I'm a racist or not, you know. I might be a racist, you know, I might be a redneck. You know, I don't care what you, you know, I don't really mind what you think I am. Um, you know, I might be a progressive, you know. Um, I might be anything. But he was at pains to sort of um, put a line in the sand and say, I'm not a racist, you know, and uh, which he probably isn't, you know. Um, and I probably am. Um, and... Um, he was also saying, um, what, you know, this is a wonderful country, he was saying, you know, it's multicultural, um, you know, where I grew up, you know, we had Sri Lankans and, and, um, and I've got a grandfather who's Italian, you know, and here am I, and I'm as Aussie as Aussie can be, you know, but he's clearly a progressive in his mind, he's not a redneck, he's, he's definitely putting himself out there as not a redneck, um, and I got the sense from the way he was talking that he was not a John Howardite, you know, he's not on that side of the history wars. I think he was making a genuine, you know, I don't think he's continued with his podcast. I think he's given it up. He looks like he's done three episodes and given up as far as I can tell. Um, but he was gen. you could tell he was about to do a very um, culturally sensitive um, podcast in, you know, in, in the way that he was about to talk about Indigenous peoples. Um and he was, yeah, but he was at pains to say, I've got a, you know, grandfather who was Italian, but I'm as Aussie as Aussie can be, you know. Uh, in Australia, Aussie as Aussie can be is usually a skippy sort of Aussie, you know. The, the um, uh, yeah, uh, descendants of convicts and colonials, you know, that sort of skippy, you know. I'm not going to tell you whether I'm one of those either. It's not about me, this podcast, you know. I might have three grandparents who are Italian and one who's from what? From Tahiti, you know? I might have that. Or I might be just an Irishman. I might be a stupid Irishman, you know? Or I might be a British, a bastard Britisher. Who knows what I am? I don't care. Uh, but here's the thing. Yeah, he had to put all those credentials. And he said, you know... Um, we just, in my class, I had Sri Lankans, you know, we're all, we all live in one melting car, you know, and we've got people from every corner of the earth here and it's just wonderful, you know, and this is, you know, what a great country and all this sort of thing. And then I'm sure he was going to proceed then to talk about indigenous peoples and how great they are too, you know, but, uh, I don't like that sort of approach, you know, with podcasts for myself. I prefer uh, someone who, I don't care what he's, you know. He's, you know, because he's talking about his politics there, really, isn't he? He's making a very strong case for... He is actually stating that multiculturalism is a good idea. And, you know, it may be the case that an Indigenous person might be listening to his podcast and say, do you know what? Do you know what? You can talk about how great all that is as much as you like, but I'd like you to rack off, thank you very much. You're on our land. You know, I don't know how he'd respond to that. Um... Even though he's trying to be loving to everybody, you know, because I, I could tell clearly that he, he wanted to be nice and sensitive and compassionate to Indigenous peoples, and, and he wanted to be nice and compassionate to all the immigrants, you know. Um, 
Yeah, I went to the Melbourne Museum once with my kids, and I saw there, um, and you can go there yourself, there's a really great Indigenous exhibition there, and I'll finish this episode off with this point, and um, one of the local mobs, I don't know if it's Wurundjeri or something like that, whichever one, and <coughs> yeah, I don't know if it's Melbourne or somewhere else. Um, I know a few of the mobs around here. I know up on the Murray they're called the Yorta Yorta. You know, you get you get to and you get to know their names. And I've actually worked with some indigenous peoples there. Um, one mob hired me once. I'm a consultant, you know, and I got and I ended up going down there and um, all that stuff. But I don't have a great, con- you know, I don't have much connection at all. You know, I'm not like Tony Abbott who spends a a week every year with an indigenous indigenous mob or like my godson. Um, who just spent 10 years with them, nothing like that, you know, I just popped in there and actually um, popped out again, you know, but I worked with them for a few months. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, this um, other podcaster, a male from Melbourne, a Westerner, clearly, with one uh, Italian grandparent, um, and loved multiculturalism, you know. But I'm not sure that Indigenous people want that, you know. Um, but maybe they do. Maybe they love it. Maybe they love the way our population is booming. Um, I'd really like to ask them, actually. I might ask my godson, Jay, what um, he picked up. Um, I haven't talked much about what he told me yet. I'll tell, I'll tell you all about all that one another time. But for now, I've just had an idea about this other guy who wrote, who, who, who spoke a podcast about Indigenous peoples. Oh, sorry, about Australia about Australia, you know, and um, what I'm going to do, and this might be unethical, but who cares, because I'm under a fake name anyway, and, um, uh, you know, how does copyright apply there, you know, I'm going to actually play his episode, this is a terrible idea, but I'm going to do it anyway, but just so I don't have to do any work, um, I might make a series, you know, I might, I might spread this episode over a few episodes, and I will, all right, I'm, I'm resolving to do it now, I'm going to, he's done a lot of research, he told me, um, you know, he started off his um, podcast, all very formal, you know, this is a grand narrative that I'm about to get onto, he said, and I've done a lot of research, he said, and I'm pulling all those, uh, you know, strands together to try and give you a truth, the thing that is closest to the truth that I can. All right, that's very interesting. Look, how about we combine all his hard work and my don't care and see what comes out, okay? And he'll probably end up listening to it, but I don't know how he would track it down because, you know, his is called something that you can actually find. Yeah, I think it's called a history, a history of Australia or something, whereas mine's called a parrot squawking. So there's no way he's ever even going to find my podcast, you know, because his is kind of automatically in the marketing sort of zone because he's called it a history of Australia. So anyone looking for a history of Australia will find it. But anyone looking for anything like what I'm talking about right now who might come in, you know, will never find it under a title called A Parrot's Walking. And that's the way I like it. All right. Next episode will be um, this guy. Um, I'll, I'll just record him talking and then I'll interrupt it every now and again. Okay, and I'll put my two bobs worth in. Oh, God. I don't know how that's going to work out. I'll probably end up trying to smash him or something. I hope I won't. I'm not actually trying to smash him. Um, 
We need people like him. He's making a really good effort. Good on him. Making a better effort than me. I just remembered. I was going to tell you what I saw at the Melbourne Un University. Melbourne Museum. And the thing that I saw at the Melbourne Museum was an inscription of an indigenous saying and it went something like and it was written into the wall and it went something like come you know you're welcome you know as a guest stay a while and then go home now i found that very interesting uh and it makes me think you know because i am fully supportive of this other podcaster um, who went to great lengths to sell Australia as a wonderful example of multiculturalism. And he was clearly, um, he found it self-evident that multiculturalism was a good thing. You know, you could tell from the way, and you can make that judgment yourself, because I am going to cut a few clips of his into this into the next episode of this. But he was clearly saying, you know, he left no room for for debate, you know. Um, and he was saying some other things too, you know, and um, he even sort of cursed in a way, you know, and he said, I mean, we had the white Australia policy. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, he said something like that. Um, you know, and, and there's a nuance in the white Australia policy. I'm not a fan of the white Australia policy, for goodness sake. But... Um, but for um, a slightly more nuanced idea of the White Australia policy, I do recommend the La Trobe University, which, you know, in the common sort of language, vernacular, is a leftist kind of uh, university. Um, and in that podcast by the La Trobe University... Um, the professor in question there who is, um, you know, uh, he, he has a new, more nuanced idea of what the White Australia policy was all about and the, the fear of the Chinese immigration. And he goes on to talk about, um, uh, you know, the way that Europeans who didn't quite understand their own situation really, but they saw their own living conditions, they saw their own... Uh, wages and they looked around the world and they saw that non-European countries were living in a way that they didn't want to live uh, and that was pretty much across the board and you know that, that was probably accurate I mean have a think about it and um, you know and this is around about the birth of Australia you know 1901 and they looked around and they said we don't want Australia to be like that you know and that's probably bad you know but they didn't want, you know, they just had um, Chinese people coming to Australia during the gold rush and they didn't, understand, they didn't understand other cultures and didn't want to, you know. At that point in time, you have to, you can't put 21st century ideas back into those times, you know. And they looked around and uh, they seemed to make an assessment that if they just opened the borders, um, which is, you know, sort of a debate at the moment, isn't it, um, in the 21st century, but if we open the borders... Uh, the fact of the matter is that cheap labour will flood in and 
cost of living you know, and uh, living conditions will go down and all that sort of thing. That was their assessment. Now, if that was, you know, is that a reasonable thing for them to think? Should they have been thinking that? Now, just take race out of it for a second. Um, is that a bad thing for them to have uh, debated in Parliament? You know, and um, should they have opened the borders fully? Now, obviously, there's a lot of people around today who said they should have, you know. But if they had, we wouldn't have, you know, the little towns I know, you know, the, where I grew up and all that sort of I grew up in a town called Lansfield. And, you know, it was, um, you know, the sort of town that anyone from Brunswick, which is very multicultural and edgy here in Melbourne, would say is a living death. You know, but other people who uh, were Euro Anglo Australians, uh, Anglo Celtic Australians, liked it like that. You know, nice neat street and orderly houses and all that sort of thing. And you know, whereas um, you know, university students in Brunswick like it all crowded and a riot of different types of um, cafes and. You know, you can go to an Afghan store and you can, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, so it's a question of, you know, it's more nuanced, I think, than it first appears. Now, it was a European-Australia policy, um, which I think is what the professor at the La Trobe University is saying. Um, but it was definitely a white Australia policy too, because when they looked around the world and saw all the people with the with the living conditions they liked and the wages wage conditions they liked all those people were to their eye white skinned all right so race starts to pop into it here and they noticed that all the countries that weren't like them you know anglo celtic or mainly anglo um had what they would call crap ways of life you know for them okay so they they associated it with skin colour. And at the same time, you had the whole skin colour thing going in America. Um, and the white-black thing there just got out of control because the Europeans got greedy there. I always associate slavery with greed. Slavery with greed, you know. And, um, and because they, uh, the Europeans over there were so very greedy, um, they created... A white identity, a very strong white identity, versus a very strong black identity, you know, and they they created what you might call cultural genocide and wiped all trace of where all the different African people came from in Africa, you know, because Africa's by no means a single place, and you know, and created a very strong black identity in America. And, you know, and created for themselves a white identity. And those two tribes are still going for it, hammer and tongs in America to this day. And that spills back over to Australia again. And um, and then we happen to call our policy a white Australia policy and not a European Australia policy. Might have been a bit better to call it a European Australia policy. But we called it a white Australia policy because we were a racist as well. You know, my ancestors... Um, so it's a, a mixture. It's not one thing or the other. You know, it's very tempting always to sort of think, is it this or is it that? You know, it could be, could be both, you know. And, um, but once it was called the white Australia policy, that, that locked it in, you know. And then um, it, it becomes, you know, and, and that focuses the mind on the skin colour even more and makes it worse. And then um, 
And then, you know, it became a white Australia policy. It actually did become much more about skin colour than if they had called it a European uh, Australia policy. And it um, and became a sort of self-fulfilling racism, as it were, I think, you know, as far as, you know, my... my and I do think it's an indifferent um, sort of look at it, as far as I can tell. But it's... But when people look back, yes, when even when I look back, white Australia policy does present as a very racist idea, you know, in the end. But if you go back to 1901 and just before that, when it was all being debated, I dare say it was less about white skin and much more about European standards of living and wages um, than skin colour without saying that it wasn't about skin colour as well, you know. But it's more nuanced, all right? But and now now maybe my, uh, you know, podcast colleague, as you might call him, was going to get onto all that stuff before he gave up on his podcast because he does look like he's given up on his podcast, just did three episodes last year, you know, a whole year ago and seems to have stopped. Um, but, you know, maybe he was going to explore the nuance eventually. Uh, but I've only got his three episodes to go on and just a a kind of cursing sound that he made, you know, um, you know, for God's sake or God damn or whatever he said, um, you know, we've got the white Australia policy, Jesus Christ, you know, and, you know, that needs more discussion. That's all I'm saying. It needs more discussion. And he might have been intending to have that discussion, but to the extent that he hasn't, I will. And I have just now, and I'll probably say things about this more later, you know, in other episodes. Okay, so that's that. And and he also, as I think I mentioned, he presented multiculturalism as a self-evidently good idea, you know, like who could, who could um, deny it, you know. Um, you know this is it's, it's a quite obviously a wonderful thing, you know. Whereas... You know, not everyone thinks multiculturalism is a good thing, you know. Like, let's say, um, I have a friend who thinks um, that we should completely open the borders, you know. Then I try and think to myself, well, I think that's a bad idea, but just on practical levels, you know. But let's say, um, you know, Muslims are the talk of the town at the moment um, because, um, you know, Europe once had a, um, a refugee problem with Germans, you know, back in ancient Roman times, in the crisis of the third century, they call it, you know, and the Huns came and attacked the Germans um, way, way, way back then, you know, in the third century, you know, back in ancient Roman times, and the Huns came around the top of Germany and started slaughtering Germans, you know, and that reminds me of something like what's happening in Syria, you know, today. And back then, um, there were German refugees lined up on the Rhine, and the Romans tried to let just a few in, and then they all flooded in, and you know, and that ended up, well, that that one ended up going really badly, um, you know, and and you end up finding Germans sacking Rome in the end and completely obliterating Milan, you know, and um, pretty much just taking the Roman off Empire off the Romans, you know, um, and you know the modern Fr- French, for example. Descendants of the Franks, you know, who are the German, the, one of the German mobs, all right, that sort of thing. So, you know, and if you come to somewhere like Australia, multiculturalism, you know, you're a bad person if you argue against it. But what if you're an Indigenous person and, and you don't want the borders to be opened? How does that work, you know? 
Um, and I'm not trying to come at this as some sort of, um, like a, as if I was a conservative, because I'm not a conservative. Um, but if you want it to be, you know, it's not just conservatives, I imagine, but, you know, is an Indigenous person allowed to put their hand up and say, listen, I just think um, a very careful border policy would be a good idea? You know, especially if that Indigenous person deep down would like all of us to go, not only for, you know, the current Muslim refugees not to come into Australia, but for them not to come in, and also for all the English to go away as well, and all the Chinese, and all the, you know, and all the rest of them, all the Africans, and, you know, all of you get out, you know. Is that Indigenous person a bad person? Well, on a strict reading of the barracking that my fellow podcaster was um, barracking with um, on multiculturalism. Yes, that Indigenous person would be a bad person. And yet I sort of say to myself, well, he's an Indigenous, he's land, you know, that on, on another level. So, look, it's, you know, it's really hard to be good. Uh, um, you know, you can try and put yourself up as the good guy. And I think in these podcasts, it's a good idea not to, not to put your hand up and say, you know, something like multiculturalism is a good thing or conservatism is a good thing or socialism is a good thing or anything's a good thing, you know. Um, there are shades of grey. Um, so lots of shades of grey. And it's just, in my opinion, better just to talk about it, just to chat. Um, uh and that's about it, you know. And uh, you know, I don't know much about Indigenous people, but I do get the f- I do get the feeling that um, that then you know they're not they they might be more into a chat, all things considered. And I can't be. There's no such thing as one group of you know one. It's not one culture. Indigenous people, um, lots of different cultures, lots of different people. Um, I know of one, you know, I follow one person, I, I follow him with interest, Stan Grant, he's an Indigenous activist from Victoria. Now, Indigenous people from Victoria are very different from Indigenous people in Northern Territory, um, and my godson was talking about that a lot, actually, to me. I'm not actually going to tell you everything my godson told me, because he didn't give me permission to do that, you know, so I won't be doing that, um, per se. Um but he, uh, Stan Grant, a Victorian Indigenous person, um, as distinct from a Northern Territory Indigenous person, was sort of saying his view of the way he sees Australia is that it's three things. It's Indigenous Australia, it's the British tradition, and it's the immigration story, you know, post-British people coming, post-Britain coming here, you know. And so three things, not two things, you know. And some other people might say, and the the, um, the immigration story is, you know, the Chinese coming with the gold rush and the, um, the Greeks and the Italians, you know, after that, and the Vietnamese in the 1970s and then the rest of the world after that. Okay, so that's that's Dan Grant, and he's an Indigenous person, and that's his view, and I, I, I like the sound of that. Um, other people might say it's only two things, you know. It's the Indigenous story, it's the immigration story. You know, the British immigrants are no different to all the other immigrants, you know. Why separate them out, Stan Grant? But, you know, I don't want to lock myself into any of these ideas. I just want to chat about them. That's what this podcast is about. We shall get into all of that 
occasionally. Wouldn't it be good to have an Indigenous uh, perspective on these podcasts? But unfortunately, I don't know any Indigenous people. I really don't. Not even one. I come from Victoria and you just don't run into many Indigenous people. I don't. Uh, um, I get to watch them because I go to the football and uh, plenty of good Indigenous players, but I don't know any personally. But, you know, maybe that'd be tokenism to, you know, wouldn't come off maybe. If you want an Indigenous perspective, go and listen to an Indigenous person's podcast, you know, or just go and find some Indigenous guy and just just chat to him or her. Okay, bye. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.